Hey everyone, just a quick note before we start. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review over at iTunes and Apple Podcasts. If you want to really make a difference for us at aboutmeditation.com, leaving a rating and a review gets the show in front of so many more people. Just one rating and one review has an outsized impact. So please, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review if you like the show. Hi everyone, and welcome to the One Mind Meditation Podcast. My name is Morgan Dix, and this is a show about meditation, mindfulness, and your health. And today I am delighted to share with you my interview with Wee Nang Amos. And Wee Nang, or Nang as he prefers to be called, he started meditating and practicing Tai Chi when he was three years old. And he grew up in a totally unique school stroke intentional community that integrated Eastern meditative practices into daily life. And I came to learn during the course of this interview, Nang's father was a student of the legendary Soto Zen master Shunrayu Suzuki, the founder of the San Francisco Zen Center, author of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and founder of the Tassajara Monastery, the first Buddhist monastery outside of Asia. And I actually, I've known Nang for probably like 25 years. He and I went to boarding school together. And it was interesting. I always admired him for his, just his presence and his amazing grace and power on the football and lacrosse field. And I was tracking what he was doing on Facebook and suddenly realized, wait a second, I need to talk to Nang. And, and these days, he's an English teacher, but in addition to learning about his remarkable story and the very powerful streams of influence that have flowed into his family, we really explore his current focus, something that he calls the Mindful Arts Project. And it's fascinating. I think you're really going to love it. I think you're going to love Weenang's story, and it's just unique. It's so interesting. And just, I encourage you to sit back and appreciate the flow of this conversation. I really loved it. There's birds and singing in the background and chimes, and you hear the kind of, I think uh, Weenang must have been outside, but you, you feel the presence, the meditative presence of the space in the in this discussion. So I hope you enjoy it, and without further ado, here's my conversation with Weenang Amos. Cool, all right. So Weenang, welcome to the show. I'm really psyched to have you on here, man. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Awesome. So everybody, I have known Weenang for a long time, since probably 1988, when we, we, we went to boarding school together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Weenang was, uh, we, we lived in dorms. It was a, uh, it was a, you know, unique, boarding school is a unique experience, and you get really close with people, and then you also, you're in this super compressed microenvironment, and, you know, the, the kids who are just two years above you, those are like your heroes. And I always remember having a lot of respect for you and your accomplishments. I was always captivated by 
your history with Tai Chi, even then, knowing that that was sort of a big part of your life and seeing how that impacted your performance on the football field and lacrosse field. And I always really felt like you were just such a beautiful athlete, like a really, you know, like I did, man. It was always something I just had so much respect and admiration for your your skills on the field. And I certainly appreciate that. We, um, my brother, of course, had, had been there two years prior and, uh, you know, I continued on with him, but I think there was always a sense that, uh, it, it was an entirely new world for us yeah. as well, coming into that environment. Um, yeah. We had been in small town, New Hampshire and in this school for meditative practice and and it was an entirely different universe um every bit is exacting and (laughs) and uh complex and 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 interesting but it was it was great to be a part of that yeah i really do appreciate that community oh yeah me too well all right so can you just uh so two things to start can you just give people like the really quick elevator pitch about who you are and what you do just like in two or three sentences and then i really want to just begin by asking you more deeply about your story and and you know i'd love to talk more deeply in particular about your work setting up the mindful arts project which is something that you work on now and also your history with tai chi but but if you could just say a little bit to start just about who you are and what you're up to Sure. My name's Hui Nang, and uh, I just Nang is fine. Okay. <laughs> I go by Nang, and, Nang. and I'm a school teacher. I teach uh, middle school kids primarily English, and I've taught a lot of gifted program stuff over the years. Um, right now, uh, just regular English, getting kids diagramming and mm. uh, understanding literature and, and that sort of thing. Very basic stuff, and I, uh, I really I really like it. Um, yeah. But... The other side of it is, I suppose, um, I'm a husband and a, and a father. So that means, uh, there's a a degree of, of, of structuring and, and bringing things together at home. That's, that's important. Um, so between the schooling and and then the home life, um, I think, suppose we all have a a desire to try and make it all cohere and and make it all make sense. And, um, out of that, interest uh, i think is probably where the mindful arts project uh, originated it was to try to make sense and meaning out of out of um a life that that's sometimes disjunctive and and uh and devoid of it, its own purpose mm-hmm. I, um, I think the mindful arts project started when a friend and i said hey let's 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 do something that's going to bring people together in stillness um, on a Sunday, perhaps instead of sneaking into the week with escapist leisure time on Sunday. Uh, maybe we could actually use that time purposefully and build with stillness and mindfulness the proper launch into the week, a way to enter into the week with with um, a lift rather mm. than the sense of impending drag. You know? Yeah. So that's where it started, and we just started making these little um, get-togethers. And art was involved, and we do some sitting, and nice. do uh, some tai chi, and some yoga, and, and we'd serve tea, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So 
it was just a, and it was very, very much organic and it wasn't structured at all. Um, but it was great. It was fun. And, um, it made the week start a lot better than it would have. Yeah. Subsequently, um, I had decided I was really just struggling with the the complexities of, of being a school teacher in a public school system. I took a year to, to think about it. (laughs) So Mm. you took a year off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was extremely nerve wracking to do that, but I bet took a year off and uh, just said, Hey, what are we doing? Yeah. What what am I doing here? Yeah. in that year is when I think the Mindful Arts Project really kind of came into its own and blossomed. Wow. All right. Now, I, I want to hear, I want to get into this, but I don't want to, I don't want to um, get too much into it right now because I want to get into the lead up and because mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. clearly, a, it sounds like a pretty amazing genesis there. So if you could put that on pause and yeah. I want to ask you like, just a big rewind. Can you just talk a little bit about your own story? Like you have this deep backstory with Tai Chi. And I understand that for you and your brother, Bodhi, that's, that's just been a very formative influence for you. And I'd love to understand more about that. Like you mentioned the kind of intentional community there and what's the story behind that. And then, and then how did that bridge, if it did, into this context of the Mindful Arts Project with, as you mentioned before we started, stops in a Zen center and, a, and in India, etc. It sounds like there's some pretty significant thresholds there. And sure. Yeah, if yeah. you could just take us through that, I'd be really yeah, interested Absolutely. to hear about Absolutely. Um, no, this is true, I suppose, with everybody. Um, my story started a couple lifetimes before I existed, and there's a a sense that all of this kind of kind of evolved out of experiences of my grandfather mm. on my father's side, and he was a deacon in the Fellowship Church of All Peoples in San Francisco, and so uh, the whole goal that was a Thurman project, um, Reverend Thurman. Did, Thurman and and his his idea was to bring uh, various people together and worship. Um, it was something that was not seen. It was the most segregated hour on yeah. in, in America was, yeah. was was during was during faith practice. So my father was a part of this, and this of course brought the Chinese, the Japanese, the black communities, um, to some degree Hispanic communities together in worship in this single location. And I think the the meeting of the minds that happened there. Um, was significant. Wow. He was also he was Martin Luther King's teacher at Boston University. Oh my god. So yeah, he's he seems to be this really extraordinary being. <laughs> uh, I think is Howard Thurman and and he was just remarkable. So he brought everyone together in this context of uh, understanding um, differences this and is strengths in the, the 40s and 50s in San Francisco. I would say yeah, and even see my father was born in 28 so he would have been involved, been going to this church when he was, you know, throughout his life, and it was fully formed and 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 uh, running. I'd probably say that even before the twenties, wow, he was up and running. 
but I, I have to check the dates to be sure. Yeah, yeah. Twenties or thirties, for sure. It's got it's up and running, and so he was a part of that. And he was able to to my father was able to to then become acquainted to some degree with Chinese culture in America and, and Japanese culture in America, and that's where the the Tai Chi eventually came in, and uh, and the meditation. This San Francisco Zen Center was was nearby, and that eventually became a place of respite for my father. And he got most of his training in meditation there mm. under Suzuki Roshi. Oh wow! And, so he trained then, with Suzuki Roshi. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In fact, the Sonoma Mountain Zen Center, where I ended up going, this is layer upon layer. I don't want to make yeah, it really complex, but no, it's awesome. Kwong Roshi, Bill Kwong, who's now the Zen master at. Sedoma Mountain Zen Center was actually someone who'd been coming to my father's boarding house. He had a boarding house which was set up for students and and, and thinkers and and so he learned to meditate from my father and then my father introduced him to Suzuki Roshi and then Suzuki Roshi um, passed the Dharma bowl to him mm. for the Sonoma Mountain Zen Center. Mm. Then the whole thing um Everybody was meeting everybody <laughs> at that time. It was really, it must have been a really extraordinary moment. Yeah. So, out of this sort of primordial soup of, of, of stuff, uh, my father built a school called New Canaan Academy. Well, eventually, um, same con, School for the Art of Moral and Ethical Conduct. And it was based around meditation and Tai Chi and uh, Zen basketball was a, was a big thing. So nice. Bringing play into it as well. And, and um, we all lived together and worked together. And this was on Geary Street, I think, in San Francisco. So uh, from there, I guess that's the beginning of the story is this, is this community form and then i guess in 72 he decided san francisco was not really where it was at anymore and he wanted to try something different so we all packed into volkswagen buses and beetles and and we all drove cross country and set up shop in putney vermont for a few years and then uh canaan new hampshire which is where new canaan academy the name came from mm. Uh, he's like, this is perfect. It's the promised land. We need to go there. There's this big building. And, wow. You know, we got to, you know, set up shop there. So that's where Bodhi and my practice began. We grew up from three, sitting meditation, practicing Tai Chi, just living in community. 20 adults, 15 kids. And we, every day was just steeped in this practice. Um, and I, of course, had no idea that this was at all unusual. Yeah. It's just what it was. And it wasn't until I um, grew up, because I, I ended up going off to private school in sixth grade and then another private school that we shared it, it, you know, after that, and then off to a small college. It was all community-based. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that, that life just wasn't like that outside yeah. the bubbles. Totally, so, totally. I can relate. Then uh, it was really interesting... Um, after leaving college, trying to go through the process of rediscovering what the practice meant outside of community, mm. you know, away from my brother, away from New Canaan Academy, away from all of these people. And I, I probably spent most of my 20s, I didn't practice very much. I, I just, um, I do Tai Chi here and there. I teach some some Tai Chi or or I'd do some sitting with friends, um, but it wasn't a whole lot of it. It was really just something that uh, I, I just did casually. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and that's um, in those years is when I ended. I guess it would have been in '96 uh, or somewhere around there, or I ended up um, going to 95 or 96 i ended up going to the sonoma mountain zen center mm-hmm. and been practicing again under uh Kwong. really wonderful did you live there and work and practice yes yeah i lived uh, uh, at the monastery for the better part of the summer and uh, it was gardener and it was a it was a good time i was still i think uh in my senior year at, at williams uh, my mother had passed, and uh, that I think mm. kicked my brother and I off on that journey. After I graduated, um, we just packed everything and left. Yeah, you know? uh, and that was kind of the impetus for the journey. It was so unexpected. It was so heartbreaking, and but I don't think I ever really stopped long enough to heal. Yeah, um, until I got to the monastery. It was, you know, it was just extraordinary, because then, of course, you're sitting from I was up at, and Kwong Rusty was so wonderful. He's like, okay, uh, here's what you you can do. You can get up at, a, at four in the morning. You'll, you'll do 108 bows three times a day, full prostration, and and uh, you'll go. You'll light the candles in the in the zendo, and and you'll work in the garden. You know, yeah, and then the plants. They just grow, you know. You you put a little water, and the sun does the rest, and the plants grow. <laughs> it was it was just it just stripped everything away. Yeah, you just practice and work, practice and work, and um, chop wood, about, carry water, just yes, yeah. exactly. And after about two weeks of that, I just found that I would sit down to meditation, and I would just sob and sob, and it was the most glorious exquisite sorrow it, yeah. it, it wasn't it was the releasing sorrow not the gathering sorrow. Yeah. you know yeah where all of that finally lets go and uh just and for for probably a couple of weeks after that i would just expect tears streaming down my face and and uh and lightness of, of heart and truly truly transformative i'll never be able to thank him and um, you know Kwong Roshi and the people at Sonoma enough for that experience. Did he? Did he know your mom? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my father had actually introduced Kwong Roshi to his wife Laura. Um, mm. They were so all of them were in and out of of my dad's boarding house at that time. I think it was still a boarding house and not a school yet. So they're all very close at that at that moment and uh so i know that uh my mother was was meant a lot to the kongs yeah and your dad was still teaching at new canaan academy at this time yeah he was it was interesting though it was very the, the academy itself had changed so much when I was growing up, I felt, I mean, again, I was just a kid. So I, my, my judgment on the subject is maybe a little skewed, but my feeling was that I was surrounded by people who were actively seeking answers, who were, um, very much involved with the practice. And the goal was to, was to evolve, was to, you know, sort of alchemic process through the practice Yeah. to become, uh, and to become again, and to let go, and to become again—you know—that was the 
certainly the the discussion. <sighs> so much happened, I think, uh, in the process uh, that by the time and then also it's just growing up and and your home can't be that perfect model in your mind that it that it was yeah um so some of it's just that but i do feel like some of the intellectual and um the rigor of the practice uh, some of that had had, had sort of drifted you know yeah um i think the people that remain there were were um well, there were always a couple ardent young students that would, would come in and they'd bring this great energy and, and, uh, and they helped dad with that kind of stuff, um, you know, with just the daily ins and outs of it. And a little bit less of the, the seeking as a whole concept. I mean, the whole thing yeah. was less about seeking, yeah. accepting certain individuals, you know? So that's just how it seemed to have changed. And I, I'm not sure if, um, I mean, I went back to help out on a couple of occasions and um, it, it wasn't entirely welcomed, you know. It was not um, the concept of needing help was hard for my father. Got it. You know, he he kind of did not really. Um, he went back to work at seventy two in on the loading docks in the in the in the post office, and because uh, mm. he refused to to accept help. Mm. <laughs> you know? ah. and, and then uh, that led to the open heart surgery, and and eventually. Uh, to his passing hmm. so it's all deep deep stuff there yeah i can still feel it you know yeah so i just but, uh, i remember i just remember in as much as i had any sense for that when at groton i just remember meeting him once or twice and feeling the gravity of this person yeah, he had his, he definitely had a gravity to him mm. and a a light. To yeah, him. like he would smile and it would just lit a room because uh, he's so genuinely in love with life and with everybody. Yeah, really a remarkable man. Wow, thank you for sharing that, man. Sure, sure. All right, so Zen Center. So take us onward from there. Okay, so I was at the Zen Center for a little while, and then I did, um, from there, I I returned to New Hampshire, and I think that's where um, I kind of offered to um, help out. I think I was in New Hampshire for a little while there. Um, again, Dad um, is very much uh, an independent. <laughs> He's like, right. I, I don't need help. You need help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, that's dad. He wasn't wrong. He wasn't That's, wrong. You yeah. Know, he just he just didn't uh, know how to to accept help, and uh, so I tried. Um, but along that time too, I, I ended up because um, there's all these these cycling back through Sandy Weinberg, an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, luminary, luminary in in my father's life, um, friend of his, good friend, best friend at some points, and you know he just extraordinary man. But his son was at that point about 16, 17. And he'd come through on a couple of occasions just, you know, to get some good uh, support from, from dad. And and he came back through. And he and I became good buddies at that mm. time. Uh, it was really great. Nice. But um, so spent some more time. I just in and out of the practice there at the academy. Yeah. But I was still rambling. You know, I was going wherever. And I had no... Um, 
sense of where exactly I was heading. I, I think a lot of people that we were around uh, at, at, and then at Williams, I think a lot of those people always had a, a sense of this is the plan. This is where I'm going. I know what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. I never, never had that. And yeah. I, I, I look back sometimes. I was like, what? Why didn't I have that? Yeah. I can relate, extension. man. Yes. You know, I was, what is this, what is this really about? I was trying to answer other questions and yeah. uh, that uh, never occurred to me to be like career oriented. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so anyway, um, I traveled, you know, went to India and mm. uh, I had a, a friend from college was getting married. Uh, that was a that was a glorious trip. I guess that the first time I went to India was in uh, Renita's wedding. Wow! So yeah, I, I, and then I went a second time for another wedding for uh, a friend, um, my my best buddy, really at the time. Uh, um, so, but to see meditative practice and Eastern philosophy in practice in India, yeah, it's totally. Totally different, transformative. You know, to see to see people that many people, yeah, compressed into you know three times the number of people compressed into one third the space, yeah, and so much more graceful about sharing space. Mm. That that's a that's a, a subtle but a, a, a complete difference from from what we have here. We have this idea totally. of um, these carefully bounded hedged and, and cropped spaces and that's just not a thing yeah yeah at least you know in in ordinary indian society I totally apprehend of the wealthy you might be able to pull off stuff like that but most people they're just right in each other's laps and <laughs> you learn to man. do it literally you know totally. you do it gracefully you know um I remember being on a train and somebody, everyone's crammed in there and I'm in a seat and, and, uh, some, an elderly person came in and, and I, I gave up my seat and sat on the floor and, and people were stunned. The Indian people were stunned to see mm. a Westerner actually doing that. Yeah. You know? I, I was stunned that they were stunned. Yeah. It, it, and they were <laughs> like someone immediately. Please, like, I, I, I want to do a palm reading I, for you. I just, <laughs> you know, basically, thank you for being a decent human being. You yeah, know? yeah. This, I don't know. Those travels in, in India were, were just, uh, just wonderful. Yeah. I, I've, so I, I've but been, I had lots of traveling to do. Yeah, you know? right. It was the time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess um, that was ten years, really. Um, uh, all of that moving around, I had to shake off some of that excess energy. I think it just needed to, to go. And I had some great travel buddies to do it with. Nice. Was, but that was, was there anything for, for you in India? You know, you talked about just the sort of deep cultural kind of almost like, you know, I can relate to that sense of, um, the kind of interpenetrating reality of India, how like, I remember first time landing in India and almost like going, feeling like a meditation current right away when we landed yep. and just being like, what's going on here? Like, yes, I'm yep. Im immediately almost in an altered state of consciousness. Like, 
and you would just almost you'd almost like just on the streets you'd almost just see that sort of transparency in people's mm-hmm. eyes yep and um, absolutely yeah and i just remember that like feeling just the, the ancient nature of the place but also just being like dropping into some some other octave of being you know just deep deep deeper in myself and the india just forces you into a certain posture of surrender just because it's so yes. overwhelming Cures and yes absolutely the sheer volume of of of, of people yeah um and animals yeah and and you know and and in order to get anything done yeah is like you just you bow and just totally. pray yeah <laughs> you're gonna have to go to this office and there's gonna be this line and then you know after x amount of time you might be able to get to this and then they'll send you over here oh. and from there who knows where right yeah. <laughs> you know it's, it's just, crazy anything like you know you you need something and you say okay I, this could take a day could take three it yeah. could you know we might just have to <laughs> not take that train because you know there's no way to know that we'll be done yeah so you have to like yeah just give up on that it's, you know that and, idea of bounded and, time pine, you know. exactly that's what i want the time the, the relationship to time is so it's a complete departure it's a, like it's a total break from that whole yeah. like, western linear absolutely people to, would be freaking out oh. in any western city they would just absolutely lose it yeah uh, if you if you're there you understand and nobody's freaking out so yeah. it seems like well, I guess it's okay. You know? well, and so I'm married to an Indian woman. And like, so we have our own like microcosm of that in the house. Like I, I grew up, you know, my, I grew up, my dad was in the army and then he was at, in, you know, he was, he was at Groton too. And it was like, I grew yeah. up, the family life was almost martial in its organization. Yeah. Right. And, yep. and just in the Northeast and it was just like, boom, 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 you know, dinners at this time. Mm-hmm. If you say we're going to leave at a certain time, that was like sacrosanct. You know, the clock, the clock was law and it was like cellular law. And like, and then with Atra, it's taken years. We've been married 15 years and it's taken so much time to like find the middle ground where like I appreciate and benefit from the sort of the, the softening edges of my, you know, that, that hard Western line and, you know, where she'd be like, no, if we say we're going to go meet family and we'll be there at three, it means within kind of five (laughs) hours of three o'clock, we're going to be there, you know, and, and that, but the premium is placed on the connectivity. It hasn't, they really don't care about the time. It's just, we're going to be there. And that's, so awesome, you know. Absolutely, and obviously the the one hand washes the other. It's such a yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I tell you, the year where the the mindful arts project was coming together really yeah. was was a, a beautiful reminder of that. Mm. Not having that daily structure, daily. You know, I I I got up. I would sit. I would do my. I practice, mm. you know, but beyond that, I come out to the patio and, and, <laughs> and there'd be a painting this, you know, right now there's a painting sitting out here, you know, halfway started and, yeah. 
and then James would come by, and then you know uh, the other neighbors would come by. Yeah, and, and this was the the day was utterly unpredictable in that sense. Mm. The only thing that was consistent was that Dante, my my buddy, who was going to come by, who was who was um, kind of starting this whole thing with me. Uh, you know, he would come by. At some point, we'd probably end up, you know, getting a hike in out in the mountains, or we would definitely do some yoga or some tai chi yeah and some meditation you know nice that was the only thing that was consistent about it and we we'd have little events to be you know music or or something you know everything you know we had ice baths and and just anything at all um, nice that, that would come through and yeah and it, it just kind of developed its own tempo and its own pattern yeah but none of it was as it was uh, growing up, yeah, where yeah, everything was on the schedule. Even, and I mean, Dad was an army guy too, um, mm. and he's he was very much scheduled. So you'd have, you know, the emptiness of the Eastern practice carefully dissected and and uh, put in its proper shelf. <laughs> right? Totally. So not bleeding I, into everything. Right. Right. So I don't know. It's it was an interesting year. Um, All right. Well, let's I've, let's let's quickly then fast forward from India through to Phoenix. You getting set up, and then let's get into the mindful arts project. But let's 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 go through the end of your your chronology here, and then I want to get into that year off, and then how it's going now. And um, okay, I'd gone on travels, and and um, I'd done some some music in in New Orleans. I'd done some gone to L.A. for music and. Zen Center, all of that stuff, um, came back, ended up in Wisconsin. This is the beginnings of the, the activism. Mm. You know, Wisconsin, I started working with um, homeless folks and, and bringing them in and and taking them, uh, getting them resources and, and housing and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so the recidivism was really high, mm. and it was just sad to, to work with those those folks and, and to realize – not only were we not necessarily giving them what they wanted, we certainly weren't succeeding in giving them what we wanted to give them right. um, for any length of time, at least. Um, it's just it's sort of soul-crushing work. Um, mm. So I guess that kind of led to thinking more towards working with kids. Yeah. Which then, after I moved to Phoenix, there's an arts venue in there for for a brief period of time yeah <laughs> but so opened our arts venue worked in a coffee shop but then eventually worked um with juvenile delinquents in a treatment facility mm -hmm. um, lockdown facility wow um and then the teacher kept not showing up so i would go in and teach the classes and then it the light went off and that's when i became a classroom teacher mm. so i was trying to start my 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 family i had a, a daughter on the way and that's when I settled in, kind of got the solid uh, nine to job five. And, yeah. Right, right. And I uh, figured that. And um, slowly, all of that stuff, all of that practice just kind of disappeared. It actually had to go away entirely hmm. and, and um, resurface as music. So that's what ended up happening in, in my middle 30s. Was, uh, music started to be a, a really important thing and through the music and and recording and that kind of stuff um, 
just performing. That's what eventually brought me back to life. And that eventually brought me back to the practice. It was not necessarily uh, the best match. I, our marriage was probably not very well, very well matched. Hmm. Great person. Probably we should not have, have done that. But we got the kids and, and uh, you know, you, you, you go into a, a state of rebirth, I guess, after that. And, and through the music, I, I ended up... Um, you, wait, okay, so I missed uh, you. So you separated at that? Is that what you... Well, it took us 10 years gotcha. to, to really figure it out. But at um, a certain point, we divorced. was not graceful or mindful in, in its, its existence. It just was. And yeah, you figure out again. And you're like, well, this I'm going to keep. This I'm going to keep. And uh, the music... And then the practice started to re-evolve mm. from there. Mm. So I, I guess we got divorced when I was 40. Uh, you got to go through all of that thought process where you're like, well, geez, this is not how I saw, <laughs> saw things going to work out. Yeah. Plan on this at all. And uh, you have to make sure that you believe that your your existence is salvageable. Mm. You know what? It's, it's easy. You hit 40, you start to think, well, have I just wasted all of this time yeah, I just man. not done what I ought to have done and that's a real slippery slope yeah. so I went through a lot of suffering with that that process and and just feeling like I had I had really not done what I needed to do and uh, I had a crazy wise cousin who brought me back to life <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different story uh my cousin anthony is, is is an extraordinary being and he said hey lift your chin you <laughs> lift yeah. your chin yeah have you seen this have you ever seen this i've been doing this for years how about this and he just systematically said hey you made this you made this it's okay if you made this it's okay everything's all right just lift and he just kind of breathed life back into me in a way that I don't know had been done since uh, since Dad passed. Mm. You know, I didn't have that voice of of deeper reason, right? Practiced <laughs> concerted effort. It didn't, you know, I didn't have that voice. So he did. He breathed life back into me along with my brother. Um, we we all kind of journeyed, and um, and I. Tried again to get Bodhi to, to come and join me. He's very busy and very well ensconced in, in uh, Alexandria teaching at Episcopal. And I mm -hmm. uh, couldn't get him to come out um, for, you know. So that's uh, the other part is you say, well, none of it is how I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, none of it. So now what? And then uh, the mindful arts came along. Hmm. And just to go back to this moment, I think. Is this what you wrote about on um, the Facebook page? You said, for me, I had learned about mindfulness from two dear friends and their family about 35 years ago. I kept that seed and believed in it for 35 years. Last April, I found that I had lost, I was lost and overwhelmed by thoughts of suffering. One day during a conversation, one of these friends, and then you kind of go on to describe a, a pivot there. Was that what you just described? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'm grateful to say that those two friends could have been um, 
Bodie and 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 Anthony, or they could have been Dante and yeah. Angel. You know, there were there's a number of folks. Um, I don't remember. I'd have to read the whole thing to remember which two two people exactly <laughs> I was talking about. Yeah, and that's a that's a wealth. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've been surrounded by so many extraordinary and, and and good people. I just I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, you know, um, my friend Dante is now uh, he's up in Flagstaff and uh, he's it's a beautiful place. You know, he's he's oh no, he's Flagstaff or Sedona. I can't remember. Um, mm. He's got a lady friend and but what an extraordinary guy. Nice, <laughs> you know? nice. He's just just a great it's, great human. It sounds like it. This. Yeah. Yeah, he's fun. He's got this spirit about him that's that's just great. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, you transmitted that. It's pretty amazing. All right. So as you said, this kind of led to the year off and the and yeah, take us in. What what is what is the Mindful Arts Project? How is it evolving and what are you doing and yeah. Well, I think the Mindful Project Arts, Arts Project is whatever it needs to be right now. Yeah. And uh and that's changed over and over again based on, cause I tell you, you bring, you create this space for stillness. Ultimately it's a meditative practice. Yeah. It's a, it's a meditative practice. So, but you create that, that space for a meditative practice. You do your practice. People feel that lightness mm. and then they arrive and then they feel empowered to speak. Um, and to to express themselves in that context. So when James was here, the guy who lived down the street built a bunch of planter boxes and things. Uh, he was interested in urban gardening. So boom, that's what Mindful Arts Project is. Mm. Part of it is that we are building planter boxes and and we're trying to become food independent and we're we're working on those those ideas because that's James, you know. Yes, yeah, um, and that's. That's how it's been. Um, and James has now got, he's moved to New Orleans and he's got, uh, or sorry, Baton Rouge. And he's got a, a wife and, and they're doing it over there, right? Nice. So he was here, um, that manifested here. And we kind of ingested what he was talking about and, and really made it part of what we're doing. Now it's less so. We've got. A whole bunch of uh, plants going here from another person that came through. Um, mm. But we'll continue to do that. We'll keep that idea alive and we'll just keep working at it. Dante was very much about these sort of, is very much about these kind of spiritual adventures. And, you know, he, he he's a, a wild yogi, <laughs> right? So, nice. So he goes, and uh, that spirit was with us um, here for, for a time at the, at the house we would take people out and we'd look for wild plants that we could use in the in the soups and you know just mm. whatever it was mm-hmm. and we'd practice you know yoga as he practiced it and and that was that was the what it was for that time right now we're looking at some some questions with with uh homeschooling the kids um sonia my wife has four kids and uh, now, well, she had four kids and then I had two. Yes. So <laughs> six there. And then, and now we've got a new baby. Um, he's three months old. Luke is, is Man, three and a half months. He's so beautiful. <laughs> he's a neat kid. He's really <laughs> wonderful. Uh, so, but you know, when you got that many kids around, you got to really say, okay, what, uh, 
what are we doing to educate these children? Yeah. Uh, so we, and I was teaching at basis and the kids, three of the kids are going to basis. And now we're making that difficult decision to pull the kids back into a, some of them, at least not the two oldest, but the others, we're going to pull back into a homeschooling context mm-hmm. and we're going to build those principles that we, we live into that schooling experience. We're going to make that part of what we do. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think that's together. You guys are going to do that. Like, yeah. Yeah. We're going to build the curriculum. We're going to infuse it with meditation and Tai Chi and art and all of it. And the funny thing is like, it's everything has just, it builds and then it sh- it shimmies its way down to the ground again, and we and, and we build up on a slightly firmer foundation, mm-hmm. and we build and and uh, and let it fall apart and build again, you know. So that's where we are now. We have our Sunday stuff, and uh, people are welcome to to come uh, for other days of the week. But what we're focused, our focus right now, is to build the school of the Mindful Arts Project. Which has been part of the the whole concept since the beginning. It's just mm-hmm. now we have the the wherewithal and the confidence to do it. Um, yeah. So the question is: Do we do we make it a retain it as a homeschool sort of center, or do we? I looked into charters um, last summer. I'd gone through charter school training and then you know looking at what I could possibly do to build a charter school small. So we'll see how it evolves. We'll see how it evolves. But yeah. And will you still keep, like, will you still teach, like, the eighth grade? Will you still do that job while simultaneously kind of building this curriculum up with your wife? In the long run, no. Yeah. No. So what's going to happen is I'm, I'm trans, well, basically, now I'm, I'm in a brick and mortar school. So I'm, I'm, I'm teaching, I, I go there, I, I leave here at, like, five in the morning every day and i'm home at about 5 30 wow, every that's day a long day man it's a long day there's a lot of stuff to, that i need to do and i have um i do some after school stuff because i need the extra money and uh, it's just a long day and, that's crazy and i love it I, it's it's good it's wonderful but but i'm gonna transition to teaching in an online context i can teach um Courses through through some of these online universities. Yeah, um, good for you. So that's that's the model, and then to by the end of, of of this school year, I can hopefully transition to doing that full time, and then that gives us the flexibility. And a whole new set of questions come up. You know, to what degree do we want to be tied to one particular location? It's hard to have a practice center if you're not if you're in uh, you know San Diego on. Tuesday and Santa Cruz on Thursday, right? Oh yeah. So the question is, um, we're buying flexibility. Yeah. Um, but what's the balance between center for practice and free, free floating? You know, I could, I could, uh, move around as much as I did in my twenties and I absolutely love doing that. Yeah. And I could show the world to all of these children you know, from all of these different lenses. So there's a lot up in the air. <laughs> I wish I had a more, yeah. more like solid still answer for you. But well, uh, No, it's fat. That's, that's obviously you're in this sort of fungible early, like it's all the kind of creative 
understory, right? It's all just yeah, kind of happening. That's it. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I, I know that um, over the course of this last year where I stepped away from uh, from all of it and I reacquainted with the sense of deeper practice mm. or with the literature involved with deeper practice, yeah. with the art, artistic process. I met a woman that made my life feel so fulfilling again. I earned five more children (laughs) (laughs) and and, uh, I'm as happy this concept of happiness. I don't know. It's really elusive thing, but, Uh, but it's not so complicated either. Right. You know, we like to make it complicated. It's pretty simple. Do you love her? Yeah. It's it's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Do you you see these kids and see so many possible futures for them? Yes. That's wonderful. You know, so gratitude. Yeah. So there are a couple of things I want to hone in on here. Like, so one, when you're talking about this decision, whether to have like, you know, a peripatetic school where you guys are just, you're moving, you know, and you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're exposing them, like, as you said, to expect to, to new perspectives and, and places. And obviously there's just so many rich opportunities with that. But conversely, I really also resonate with just, this sort of traditional context of a place-based school where you can go deep into one, obviously all the different aspects of one place, but there's the fact that a, a place, you, you know, you can create a container for that stillness that you were talking about, which, you know, it sounds like you do in microcosm on these Sundays, the way that you described it, but to, to really imbue the school with that kind of energy and that and and I know from my own experience and being in s- different retreat settings, different zendos, my own the the ashram I lived in for thirteen years, you know our meditation hall had like mm-hmm. you go into that thing, man, and it was just humming, you know, it yes. was it was just vibrating, and it would the momentum of practice that was already there that when you'd sit down, it was like you would, you would just kind of move right into a moving current. And it was, there was so much support in that, in the practice already, just in the bones of the place and, uh, Mm -hmm. and in the, you know, just vibrating in the atoms and the, in the, you know, it was, it would genuinely be imbued with consciousness. And I think there's so much to be said for that. And, you know, when you, when you, when you mentioned that, I was like, it was like gong, <laughs> you know, I was just like, yes, <laughs> you know, there's, and obviously having grown up the way you did, you, you, you know, that's in you having lived and, and yes. gr- grown up and, and kind of f- emerged as a, as a person in a, in a space like that. So I just wanted to kind of say something about that because that there's something, yeah, it just resonated yeah. and, it's absolutely the case yeah. that, you know, you reach out and you touch that handle. And, the you know, the, the Zen master has been touching that handle for 30 years or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You can feel where it's worn down by the, the fingers of, of, of people that continually practice, you know? Yeah. yeah. So the difference, of course, is that in order to, because you need that. Yeah. You need that teaching. That's its own teaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to to conceive of it as a generational thing 
rather than a spatial thing is is the key mm-hmm. for this like if we if we do that then there has to be it has to be about the history it has to be about the practice in any context and that i think has been part of the practice in all contexts if it's movable then it has to be stable stabilized in other directions yeah you know yeah you have to find um, it, it different be, yeah it's a real thing i still i went back and visited the sonoma mountains end center a couple uh, during that year i went back and visited and i came through and uh it was so interesting. I saw, I, I, they didn't know me from, from Adam, of course. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I used to, it's okay. I used to, I'll, I'll wait right here. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, so I just waited, you know, and then they say sort of slowly invited me in and then Kwong Roshi came by and I, and of course he's like a father to me. <laughs> so I went, I ran, I went up and I'm like, Kwong Roshi, how are you? And I gave him a big hug and I gave Laura a big hug. And people are watching me like sort of be human on, you know, in the context of a, of, of a, a revered being, yeah, you know, in a formal context. You're so right. formal. They're just like shocked that I, would, <laughs> that I would do this, you know, and it's like, what? Do you, do you know who that is? I'm like, yeah, that's Kwong Roshi. I know who that is. And of course they're fine with it, but, but I also understand, you know, so this is the thing, right? You know, we sat practice and, and uh, you know, and, and people, someone, of course, that every time you, you enter in a conversation with people who actually know the the Buddhists and, and they say, oh, your name is Huynang. Like, how do you live up to that? You know, that conversation happens, right? Mm. So what, what does know. your I'm, name, I actually don't know what, what does it, what does your name mean? Okay, well, he's he's a sixth patriarch of Buddhism, John oh, Buddhism. Wow! And uh, the whole deal was his. He was an illiterate, and uh, and he um, more or less, if you if you if you simplify the story, basically he's saying you don't have to go through all of these um, levels. You don't have to. The whole idea of the caste system came with Buddhism from India and Huinang being from the South of China, where the North of China was the preferred and you really were not expected to amount to as much if yeah. you were from the South of China. Yeah. Um, that he's saying, ah, forget that. That's not, that's not, look at me. I'm illiterate. I can't read or write. And, uh, you know, I can, I can become enlightened just like you Northerners can. It's just fine. I just have to sit do the practice. Yeah. And this was a pretty revolutionary idea. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun part of the story. Yeah. And so I, you know, I grew up with this name and I, I, I don't pronounce it properly. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a beauty to that, you know, I don't even speak Chinese or write, you know? Yeah. And I can't pronounce my own name properly. So that I, <laughs> I do appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but you know, this is in a in a in a in a Zen monastery. They're going to say, "Oh, is that softly pretentious?" They, yeah. You know, people would naturally assume that you you chose that name yourself. And anyway, I, that's the thing, right? That delicate balance between um, the essence of tradition and and stillness practice, and this moment, um, nothing special. Mm-hmm. 
nothing special, right? So we'll have to figure that out. And yeah. I think if, if you can keep asking that question, keep being still with that, then whatever, whatever this evolves into, that's going to be it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. All right. Well, so tell me, can you speak a little bit to your, your sitting practice? Like what is, when you sit, can you talk about what, what is your practice or what is your non-practice? What, what is, can you just take us in a little bit? To your... Yeah, it's interesting. Um, my basic practice is to sit. It says the, the Suzuki Roshi thing. Enlightenment is to sit. Period. <laughs> that's it mm-hmm. nothing special i you know i i love that 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 element of it but what's been interesting too is is um is addressing the question in the context of children and I realize of course that a lot of these things that i think uh, are, are are so simple were at some point taught to me that, uh, in an age where i was too young young to remember it right mm-hmm. so what i do is i sit and i say okay um, I'm going to count my breaths, 1 to 10, or 10 to 1, and I'm going to start over again. Um, and anytime thoughts come through, uh, I'm not going to perseverate. Just let it go, let it go, let it go. Be still. And then it's a little different because, of course, I'm sitting now with people that might need some adjustment or... Um, and with, with kids. Um, so I come through, uh, and now what I do at the beginning of sitting with kids, I sometimes help them set an intention. I'll give them 10 points to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say, okay, we're going to start with your, your third eye. We're going to work to the nose and the mouth and the throat and then the heart and then down to the hara. And then it'll go down to the base of the spine, the sit bone. And then and I'll walk them their energy from the third eye down the front of them, up the back of them, helping them straighten and find proper posture, base of the, of the skull, crown of the head, and then back again, right? Mm. So I just have them cycle the energy down the front yeah. and up the back, and all the time it helps them to focus on, is my body still, is my body um, in a position that's sustainable by way of its upright position is my my base solid am I solid in myself so those are the two the basics and uh, nice. ring the bell you know I, I hit I hit the bell and we bow and we say our chance so we keep it real simple I've got my living room doesn't have any furniture in it all the furniture has been moved out onto the front patio Mm. Um, i just have a meditation space in there to walk into the houses to walk into the meditation hall oh man and that requires a little bit of uh, a a reminder for kids because they just forget and it's, (laughs) it's okay yeah but it says this is this is what this house is so that's the practice for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and with the, with the Tai Chi is the same, you know, uh, see, we're going to work on these movements right now. I want you to focus in particular on X, Y, and Z, and let's just 
bring our meditative stillness to this. So the practice is the sitting and the breathing and uh, the letting go. Yeah. Nice. And how do you find that the kids take this on? They've done um, beautifully. Mm -hmm. Honestly, uh, my kids, uh, the oldest two, Sasha and Isaac, they're with me half the time, half the time with their mother. So they had more exposure to this. But I have Sanya's for full-time. And so they, you know, they get a chance to sit every day, every mm. day. And they've caught up. They've caught up. Uh, and they, they love some of the parts that um, make it special. They, they like to, to, to pour the tea and to make tea. They like to bow and serve food during the meals. They like to see who can be the most still during meditation. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. You know, these will be the... The you know, and it's about the consistency of practice. So it's harder for my for the for my older kids because they're only there half the time. And they're you know, it's it's harder to to keep that practice. It takes it takes a little while to catch up to it again every time. Yeah. So nothing is lost. It's just, but they've done beautifully. And they ap they um, appreciate it when they come back in. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. I think it's been even little Soraya. I mean, she's like five years old now and but she's so solid on her seat you know yeah and i don't have them do 40 minutes i have them do you know somewhere between 25 and 30 minutes it's awesome man that's you know? great but at five to be able to sit pretty consistently without a whole lot of complaint or or movement and the the other kids too you know it's harder that we we develop more more complaints the older we get yeah yeah <laughs> you know? and the earlier we can we can uh get into the practice in that sense the better but they're doing beautifully you know they have a sense of stillness about them anyway so they that's uh something that sonia brought with her uh, mm -hmm. through them she practices uh booty yoga and uh, she's got her own <laughs> her own juju yeah so, oh, yeah it's been good Oh, I just man. want to see where we can go with it, you know. I yeah. I want to see what this can be, and to to what degree it's transferable to others, and 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 open to the outside, and all of it, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful set of what ifs. Yeah. And do you find there's a pretty seamless flow between your sitting stillness practice and your moving tai chi stillness practice, like? Oh yeah. How, how would you characterize the relationship between those? Tai Chi is just walking meditation, you know. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, um, I think you can get real esoteric about anything. <laughs> it's never. I've never been uh, so much into like. I'm not. I'm not on the sly trying to figure out how to levitate. You know, I let my spirit elevate. And there, mm -hmm. there are wonderful things that you can uh, cultivate through to very specific movements in the form of Tai Chi or in any form, dance for that matter, you know, yeah. um, extraordinary capabilities that one can, can cultivate, but are you breathing? And this practice, 
Are you, are you pushing yourself in this practice? You're going to sustain your mental and your physical health through the years so that you are more capable of helping others later into life and, and not, uh, you know. So all those are the things. Uh, with the meditation, I think it's, it's easy because you just have to sit still and let the mind be still. In Tai Chi, it's easy because you don't have to sit still. Hmm. I like that. You just have to move. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so I think uh, that's where it is. Nice. Well, I think, man, we're I think we're kind of like getting to a natural resolution point here. Yeah. Is there anything? Are there any like last thoughts you want to share with everybody? Yeah, the last thoughts are about um, just. The practice is stillness. The stillness is practice. Um, and the forms are empty and the emptiness is the form. So I'm excited about, I think at different moments in the East, there were these great experiments where people were really, there was no sense of how it ought to be. Or there was, but but there was no people were willing to disattach from that sense. I feel like um, this is a moment where where um, practice in the West can evolve into itself and become itself in in in, in whatever manifestation that takes, where we get to kind of own it and make mm. it our own. And mm. I think that was something that. Uh, uh, Master Choi, the, the Tai Chi teacher, um, my father's Tai Chi teacher, talked about because he developed the form that I do now, uh, the Yang short form, specifically for an American audience. He's like, yeah, they're always busy. They're, <laughs> they're doing all this stuff. Like, yeah, they, they never stop. Well, let's give them something that is a little bit. Um, let's square up some corners here. You know, we're going to yes. go north, south, east, west. Yes. Right? <laughs> Just to help. And then, then they, they can take it and make a, a you know, make a, an American Tai Chi, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I've watched that happen. And the same is true for, for meditative practice, too. It's just as though you've taken the practice from one beautiful old Zendo and you find quite suddenly you're in an entirely different Zendo, but the practice is still the same. Mm. It's been really good talking to you, Morgan. You too, Nang. I really appreciate it, man. And I just, I want to give a bow to your the spirit of your dad who just so powerfully kind of was here through this conversation and had such a huge impact on you. And yeah, that's yeah. like so clear. And then, and then also his teachers. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, and then to you and to Bodhi, you know, thank you guys. I feel real blessed to know you. And in some strange, distant way, have always felt that you were probably, you know, as you said, you just you never know where life is going to direct you. And I certainly did not anticipate the path that I chose. But, you know, in terms of early influences from the East, for me, you were one of those, and that became the sort of center of gravity for me eventually. And 
So I appreciate that, man. You, you in in your own way, you've had a big impact on me. Just you know, to, it's ta- You know, these things are tacit, but when you look back, you're like, oh yeah, that had a really big impact on me. So I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm delighted that you are doing this, and uh, <laughs> I think we're all a little bit better for it. And thank you. Awesome. Thank you, man. And uh, a thousand bows in your direction. I, I know you have children of your own, and we didn't get to talk about them today, but I, I hope that they're well, right? Yes, they're, she, she is she's a blessing, man. And if, if yeah. there's more to come, then inshallah, then <laughs> we, we will be blessed. I mean, we're getting, you know, like you, we're getting, we're getting on. <laughs> yes, that's right. It happens quick, doesn't it? Oh, man. <laughs> we're slow. I'm not sure. Well, thank you so much, and um, have a great, great Saturday. You too, man. And and I'll be in touch about um, just next steps. Like, um, I'll just probably it'll be a couple weeks before I publish this. So I just I got to edit it, and then just do <clears throat> some production stuff on it, and then we'll put it out. We have an email list that goes out to about fifteen thousand people, and we'll send the interview out and you know, put it on our Facebook page and promote it. And, you know, it'll, it'll Great. yeah, it gets, you know, we got a nice little <laughs> platform here, so it'll get some good exposure. And, um, yeah, I know, I know people are going to love it. Like it is, it is great to hear about your journey. And, um, it's been a strange, yeah. long, strange trip. Right? <laughs> yeah, <man>. So, <laughs> so be. Oh, you know what I need from you is is a some sort of headshot. I mean, I kind of have in my mind. I don't know where I saw this, but maybe it's your Facebook profile picture. But you in the kind of the Stetson or some sort of cowboy hat. That's a that's a nice okay. picture. But I, if you have a, a <clears throat> some sort of bio picture. I, yeah. I, need, I need something like that for the the show cover art. Okay. All so, right. I'll send you something over. Um, I, I, no rush. I guess just uh, probably messenger. Cool. That's yeah. perfect. Well, I better run. Yeah, man. Him. You have a great, great day, and thanks again. I'll send that over to you. And uh, great. We'll have to meet in the flesh one of these days. Yeah, man. I we're we're moving from Boston to Colorado. Hopefully this uh, later this fall or this winter. So we get we get finally getting out of the Northeast and um, fantastic. Yeah, we'll be closer to your neck of the woods. So yeah, definitely. Where's where in Colorado? Are you thinking like Boulder or yeah, north of Boulder, Longmont. <sighs> That's gonna be a great great place to be. Oh, it's yeah. just steeped in the Tibetan practice. Dude, there's yeah. so much. I I've done. Yeah. I've been up to Red Feather Lakes up there. That I've I've done. We we had some retreats up there in my my uh-huh. old kind of school. And uh, but yeah, it's like the place is just. I mean, it's just like everywhere. It's a little piece of the Himalayan mountains. It, it is right dude. there. It absolutely yeah. is. But so, yeah, that's. That's great. Yeah. Hope- well, best of luck with your move. Thank you, man. And, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll yeah. get a chance to see you in person sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we will. Awesome. Talk- take care. Take care, man. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. So I hope you enjoyed my interview with Wee Nang. And if you want to learn more about Wee Nang, I've included some links in the show notes here. If you did enjoy the show, I really encourage you to leave us a rating 
and a review on iTunes. I can't tell you what a huge difference that makes for the show. One little rating and a review gets our show in front of so many more people. So you can have a huge impact on what we're doing by just leaving us a rating and a review. It's a, it's really, a, it's a huge help. So thank you if you've already done that. And if you're thinking about doing it, I really encourage you to do that. And you can head over to aboutmeditation.com if you're interested in signing up for any of our courses. We have some, we have a free introdu- introduction to meditation course. And then we have some self-paced online courses that you can purchase. And those are really designed for new and intermediate meditators. And yeah, those are all over at aboutmeditation.com. And you can also find older episodes of the podcast there. And finally, let's end as usual with a quote. And this one, of course, is from Shunryu Suzuki. And he says, treat every moment as your last. Treat every moment as your last. It is not preparation for something else.